You know, once something goes out in the world, it takes a life of its own. It's an energy of its own. I can tell you what woke means. program everybody you just stepped inside of psychotic bump school the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and i want to welcome you to another exciting edition of psychotic bump school so ladies and gentlemen tonight oh we have an amazingly full show we're gonna have three guests coming through the school tonight juliana j bolden and a sky galloway will be returning to psychotic bump school to help us pay tribute to the late great tina turner who passed away at the age of 83 in her homeland of Switzerland. And of course, she made history as one of the greatest women of rock and roll. She was considered the queen of rock and roll. And she was part of the big three, y'all. Uh, Janis Joplin, Aretha Franklin, Tina Turner. Okay, so we're going to be paying tribute to Tina Turner with Juliana and Scott. That's coming up a little later. And also, we're going to be featuring our good brother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo. Hannibal Taboo, of course, is an award-winning comic book content creator, and he's stopping by to help us uh, honor and review, <laughs> or at least have a conversation. There's going to be some uh, honoring to come, but th this is a, a cinematic triumph in animation. Uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is the sequel to the 2018 runaway success. Miles Morales is back, y'all. Animated feature film out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This one's called Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, a 2023 release that just was released over the weekend. We are going to be talking about this film. It is already uh, considered to be an extraordinary accomplishment, already surpassing uh, critical acclaim of the previous film. And people are really, really excited about this film. Is it worth the hype? All right. Well, Hannibal Taboo is going to help us break it all down. We're going to be having an extensive conversation with Hannibal about this iteration of Spider-Man in the form of Miles Morales. Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse is going to be reviewed this evening. So uh, that's going to be our lineup. So uh, you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWG, the truth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more because you know what? It's time for another rant. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, all you have to do is uh, just look at what's happening in the presidential race. Oh my goodness. Have there been some shakeups and people are out on the campaign trail talking that talk and making announcements of jumping in the race? Let's see who's running for president right now. Do y'all know how many people are running for president right now? Let's see. Trump, he thinks he's running again. You know, He's facing another indictment, y'all. Reportedly, he's been caught on tape admitting that he knew that he had classified documents and that he was sharing the information of the documents with people who didn't have security clearances. Uh, reportedly, these recordings indicate that he may have shared some secrets about the United States and its alleged uh, advances against the country of Iran. The grand jury is reconvening this week, y'all, okay? This week. 
So uh, a lot of experts, people who were around during the Nixon um, debacle many, many years ago in the early 70s, they're saying his goose is now cooked. Now, how many times have we heard some version of that? Trump is going down. Well, they think they got him again. They say there's very little chance he's going to escape out of this one. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Trump is running for office again. What else is new? Yada, yada, yada. But uh, added to that, we have uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. I think that's how you say his name. He's running for president. Uh, two African-American men are running for president in the Republican side. Tim Scott out of South Carolina and Larry Elder out of California. Robert Kennedy Jr. is uh, trying to primary Joe Biden from the left. And uh, wow, this one is a big one. Mike Pence, former president Mike Pence has just jumped into the race. He will be joining the fray and getting out on the campaign trail to make his bid for the presidency of the United States. Okay. And that's added to Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, and this one. This is the latest one, y'all. Dr. Cornell West. That's right. Dr. Cornell West, y'all has just announced that he's running for the presidency of the United States of America. Of course. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This this is getting... I, I don't even know what to say, man. I don't know what to say. Cornell Ronald West is uh, considered an American philosopher, political activist, social critic, actor, public intellectual. Um, he's from here in California, I guess. He was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but he grew up in Sacramento, California, graduated from Kennedy High School. And uh, he's been active in politics for quite some time. He's considered a theologian as well. And so he's been in and around political circles for quite some time. And he's been a part of the Democratic Socialists of America. And it was through this prism as an honorary chairperson that he was supporting the candidacy twice, I believe, of a former presidential contender, Bernie Sanders. And he has been in and around the scene for quite some time, okay? And so now he's running for president, y'all. And uh, of course, Cornel West is a very unique figure. I mean, I don't know if he'd be considered polarizing, but a lot of people think he's a very unique individual. You guys remember his appearance in the two Matrix films, uh, Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions? He played one of the council members. He's been on some albums. Uh, that featured uh, Gerald Levert. I think it was a part of a documentary about Bill Withers. So he's done a little something of everything. Um, he does have some cross-generational appeal for those that were supporters or continue to be supporters of Bernie Sanders, who can, um, you know, be a voice of somebody that's not a part of the two-party system. He's running for the People's Party. And uh, this is how he's joining the race, y'all. This is Dr. Cornell West. In these deep times. I have decided to run for truth and justice, which takes the form of running for president of the United States as a candidate for the People's Party. I enter in the quest for truth. I enter in the quest for justice. And the presidency is just one vehicle to pursue that truth and justice, what I've been trying to do all of my life. Well, there you go running for truth and justice as a presidential candidate for the People's Party to reintroduce America to the best of itself and fighting to end poverty, mass incarceration, ending wars and ecological collapse, guaranteeing housing, health care, education, and living wages for all. Dr. Cornell West is in the race and he's asking you to join his movement. <laughs> what? 
<laughs> oh my God. Now, you can't say that this next presidential uh, season coming up in 2024 is not going to be colorful because now that Cornell West is in, that's the third African-American uh, man that's currently running for president. I don't believe there's ever been that many brothers running for president uh, or the office of the presidency at the same time. Like I said, Larry Elder and Tim Scott on the Republican side and Dr. Cornell West sort of uh, running as a People's Party member, uh, people want him to actually represent the Green Party because they don't have a solid candidate right now, but he's going to run independent, I suppose, or with the People's Party, and people are concerned that's just going to split the vote and make it easier for somebody like Trump or even uh, Ron DeSantis to get into the race. But speaking of Ron DeSantis, he, along with Nikki Haley, were both on the campaign trail over the weekend. And oh, my stars, uh, already kicking up a fuss is some of the things that Nikki Haley was saying on her CNN town hall yesterday. She was asked by Jake Tapper about uh, her leadership and her stances on the issues of race. Uh, when she was asked about the shooting in uh, South Carolina, where she's from, at the Mother Emanuel Church, uh, actually, we're about two weeks and eight years away from that anniversary. I mean, it's two weeks away. It happened in 2015, in this month of June, uh, listen to how she responded to Jake Tapper's question about race. Stand by. This is Nikki Haley running for president. And it happened at a time where it was on the heels of Ferguson. And I was so worried our state was going to fall apart. And the national media came in and they wanted to make it about race. They wanted to make it about um, the death penalty. They wanted to make it about guns. And I strong armed them at the time. And I said, there will be a time and place we can have those debates, but right now we need to put to rest nine amazing souls. And I tried to protect them. Okay, now she's saying it wasn't about race, but Dylan Roof, who was the uh, avowed white supremacist who admitted himself that he was trying to start a race war. This is what I'm talking about. She's talking that talk as if we weren't there and we didn't see what happened. And it was in fact that moment that she elected to remove, she was governor at the time, governor of South Carolina. And so she ordered that the Confederate flag be brought down uh, as a symbol of hatred in her state. But yet, as she's running for president, she claims that that incident at Mother Emanuel Church, where nine uh, African-Americans were shot and killed while they were praying in church, uh, had nothing to do with race. Here she here she is again. She was talking about uh, <laughs> the the never to die um voter fraud issue and ballot harvesting. Oh my God. Jake Tapper asked her about this too. And uh, listen to what she has to say about uh, election integrity. This is uh, Nikki Haley. But I'm, I'm talking about debunked wild conspiracy theories, claims rejected by Republican governors and election officials, more than 60 failed legal challenges. After January 6th, you said about voters who believe Trump's conspiracy theories, quote, we've got a lot of work to do. They've been lied to by everybody, unquote. How clearly are you going to state this to voters on the campaign trail? I think it's important that voters want to have election integrity. That's the biggest thing. And I've seen when I was at the United Nations, there's nothing worse than when a country and their citizens don't trust the election system. So when you look at what happened, you know, you had mail out balloting that we know was happening. We know that there was harvesting that was happening. And then you had secretaries of state that did things without approval from their legislature. Those are pretty serious. And so what we've seen happen in states is they've started to pass election integrity laws, which we need to have. And I think that's really important. And I've said all of what happened 
none of that would have changed the results of the election. We know that um, President Biden is the president. But I do think it goes to say we need to continue to have election integrity laws. And this whole thing about election integrity and the fact that they are still trying to low-key imply that there was an absence of integrity with the last election in 2020 when Joe Biden beat the, well, when Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump. Um, how many times are we going to do this? Let's look at the receipts, y'all. Uh, according to Fortune magazine, Arizona was one of those states that were uh, flipped to Joe Biden, used to be a Republican stronghold. Uh, they investigated investigated about 198 possible fraud cases out of nearly 3.4 million, representing 1.9% of Biden's margin of victory in the state. Uh, there was no fraud there that was going to change the election. In Georgia, 124 of the state's 159 counties reported no suspicious activity after conducting their post-election checks. And officials in 24 counties identified 64 potential voter fraud cases, representing 0.54% of Biden's margin of victory in Georgia. Uh, and of those, only 31 were determined, determined to be the result of an administrator error or some other mistake. In Michigan, officials have identified 56 potential instances of voter fraud in five counties, representing 0.04% of Biden's margin of victory in the state. In Nevada, local officials identified 93 and 98 potential fraud cases out of 1.4 million ballots cast representing less than one third of 1%, less than one third of 1% of Biden's margin of victory. More than half the total, 58, were in Washoe County, which includes Reno. And the vast majority involved allegations of possible double voting. In fact, there was a guy that was found guilty of double voting. He voted for his deceased wife. He tried to report it as a case of uh, voter fraud. And he claimed that somebody stole his ballot from the mailbox. His wife had passed away uh, maybe a few months before the election. And so he claimed that somebody forged her signature and sent the ballot in. And so he went on television news talking about that. But then when they matched the signature and they looked at it and they started asking questions two or three, four levels deep, he did it himself. He double voted. And now he's facing uh, criminal charges for that. And so he took a plea deal, so I don't think he's going to do jail time, but he's going to be on probation for quite some time. In Pennsylvania, uh, 11 of the state's 67 counties identified 26 possible cases of voter fraud, representing 0.03% of Biden's margin of victory. In Wisconsin, election officials referred 31 cases of potential fraud to prosecutors in 12 of the, 12 of the state's 72 counties, representing about 0.15% of Biden's margin of victory. Are you getting the message? There was no voter fraud captured that would have changed the outcome of the election. This is not a major problem. They found major problems in those red-leaning districts that voted for Trump. Several people were identified as voting twice. There were some people that voted and didn't know they couldn't vote because they were recently released from prison. They checked with election officials at the, uh, the site, and they were told that they could vote, and it ended up uh, being captured. But the system is designed to capture voter fraud. So the idea is that when you catch somebody voting twice, you don't count the second ballot. And that's what they do. That's what the election laws are set up to do. But nevertheless, people like Nikki Haley are still out there trying to imply that something untoward happened in the last election. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing out there. And not to mention this guy right here. Ron DeSantis out of Florida 
He's probably going to be the one to emerge on the right, I must say. Donald Trump is probably going to have some significant legal distractions by the time we're actually uh, ready and able to cast votes for the election. But uh, he's out there uh, continuing his assault on the terminology of woke. This is Ron DeSantis speaking at a Joni Ernst's event in Iowa over the weekend. Stand by. This is presidential contender and governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. As president, I recognize that the woke mind virus represents a war on the truth, so we will wage a war on the woke. We will fight the woke in education. We will fight the woke in the corporations. We will fight the woke in the halls of Congress. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. We will make woke ideology leave it to the dustbin of history. It's gone. Okay, wait a minute. <laughs> woke, of course, was a term that did not originate uh, by any stretch uh, in Repu Republican uh, political circles. I mean, come on, man. They, they're not even trying to hide the fact anymore that they are borrowing and using and taking terms that didn't originate with them. Okay, now they got this woke thing that's going on, and that includes banning books. That includes... Uh, their stances against uh, what's called critical race theory, even though there's no evidence that critical race theory was being taught in schools, uh, but he banned it nevertheless. They have this war on something called DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. And they want to ban all of that. Now in California, for example, lots of schools and uh, districts are teaching some uh, DEI courses in order to make people a little bit more sensitive to marginalized communities and to make them more aware. But this whole thing about woke actually started uh, from an artist out of uh, Dallas, Texas by way of, um, oh my God, uh, y'all know this good sister. This sister uh, is one of the ones that probably uh, is ground zero for the terminology of woke. Uh, her name is Erica Badu. Let me see if I can cue this up real quick, because she was recently on Ari Melber's show. I don't know how I missed this two months ago, but here is Erica talking about the terminology of woke uh, just two months ago with Ari Melber. Stand by. Um, there is a song on this particular album called Master Teacher. And in that song, Master Teacher, the chorus is I stay woke. Mm. So stay woke was introduced to the world by way of this album, New America Part One. And I tweeted it once. Georgia Ann Muldrow actually wrote the song. Mm. She's singing with me. And uh, I tweeted it about this uh, group. Now she's going to talk about this group, which we can't say out loud on this show. But shouts out to Georgia Ann Muldrow. She's actually a friend. And uh, she's a friend of the movement and the uh, underground soul movement scene. She's a very talented artist. And uh, she definitely did some work with Erica Badu. And she wrote and produced that song and performed it with her on Erica's album, Stand By. Let's talk about it. Because yeah. You bring up that okay. fact, which is your art yeah. took this concept, ideas and words can evolve, but it really put this out, this idea we should wake up to these problems and stay woke. Sure. Um, we made something for you, Erica. It's just like a minute. Okay. But we track how you started it and how it spread and then how some on the on the right are sort of hijacking or attacking it or giving it a different definition. Sure. So I want to, Play this for you since you bring it up, and then you, we can talk about it. Hi. Even though you go through struggle and strive to keep a healthy life, 
Um, it's just urging folks to pay attention, to be alert. Wow. <laughs> I want my culture to stay woke, but I want the other cultures that's supporting us to stay woke. Woke fascism that will <laughs> destroy our nation. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. I think they mean black. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just another way to say thug or something else, right? Mm-hmm. So you got the opponents of this kind of using the word woke as their, their stand-in. Their, yeah. their dog whistle, they used to call it. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you feel about that? Uh, it is what it is. Like, like we said, it doesn't belong to us anymore. Mm. And, you know, once something goes out in the world, it takes a life of its own. It's an energy of its own. I can tell you what woke means. Please. It just means being aware, being in alignment with nature. Because if you're in alignment with that, you're aware of everything that's going on. And it's not only in the political arena. That means with your health. That means in your relationships. That means in your home, that means in your car, it means mm. in your sleep. I like that. I haven't heard it put quite like that, but you're sort of reminding us, I mean, a big part of politics yeah. is just psychology. Yeah. Are people angry? Do they need to blame? Mm -hmm. A big part of psychology is denial. Right. Right? That's you could right. be awake to it or you could be asleep to it because right. to be awake to it might hurt or it might mean you have to do something to feel ethical and people would rather not do anything. That's right. That's like that's a lack of love in there because I believe denial is the opposite of love. This is KCWG, thetruth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. Okay, stand by. A little later on, we'll be welcoming back Juliana J. Bowden and A. Sky Galloway. They're going to be helping us pay tribute to the late great anime Bullock, a.k.a. Tina Turner. And coming up after this break, we're going to be welcoming back our good brother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo. He's going to be breaking down to its final compound, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, a brand new 2023 release out of this Marvel Cinematic Universe, y'all. They're back, and Miles Morales is getting it in. So stay tuned for more, y'all. We'll be right back with Mr. Hannibal Taboo after this. Wait, 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 hold on. There's an elite society with all the best spider people in it? Okay, so there's this lady, Jess Drew. She writes motorcycle. motorcycle. Oh my gosh, I'm learning so much from her. Oh yeah, I, I've learned a lot of stuff too. I've leveled up my whole thing. Oh, yeah? Let's see that. Let's go. Thread the needle. Over my ears, falling on my head. All of my feels are already there. And if I could remind you, if you could remind me. Easy. And Miguel. The whole thing was his idea. And who's Miguel? Oh, he's like a ninja, vampire, Spider-Man, but a good guy? A vampire good guy. I'd pay good money to see that. So how long ago did they invite you? Uh, it's only like a few months ago. Months is kind of a long time, isn't it? Okay, this one counts for two. All of my feels were already dead. And if I could rewind it, if you could rewind what I felt Look at you. Look at me. Mona Lisa, hey. Mona Lisa. Love is when you try to place it out your mind. But you can't turn the radio down And you can't think of anyone else And love is when you try to make it out alive But you can't turn the radio down And you can't think of anyone else Uh-huh, look, I can see your face in the Parisian paintings 
the Mona Lisa. I can hear your voice in the streets and the TV stations. And the police, I can feel the strains on my wrist. I don't need these bracelets of all the things that she keeps in cages. Uh huh. I'm at least his favorite. Uh huh. And she said, I was about to give you all of me on all the weekends. And all I wanted was apologies and all of your bed. Uh, over my heels, falling on my head. But all of my feels were already dead. And if I could rewind it for you, if you could remind me of what I felt before I fell for your idea. Love is when you try to place it out your mind, but you can't turn the radio down, and you can't think of anyone else. And love is when you try to make it out alive, but you can't turn the radio down, and you can't think of anyone else. Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa. You like your space and distance, yeah. You don't take admissions. They told you not to date musicians, yeah, but can't make you listen. Stick to the ones who let you make all the decisions and look the other way. And you already know what your mother say. And you already know I'm a number away. I was about to give you all of me on all the weekends, and all I wanted was apologies and all of your bed. Uh, over my heels, falling on my head, but all of my feels were already dead. And if I could rewind it for you, if you could remind me of. What I felt before I felt for your idea of love, I, yeah. Love is when you try to place it out your mind But you can't turn the radio down And you can't think of anyone else And love is when you try to make it out alive But you can't turn the radio down And you can't think of anyone else uh, On a leash, uh, yeah. on a leash Like you were bride to me It's a party Have you ever been in love Ferrari? 
to me This is Hannibal Taboo, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Shoot a web, gliding through the sky, through the air, dancing through the builders, Fred Astaire, bunch of skyscrapers everywhere. I'm just flexing my ability, sick and tired of humility. Can't believe that they would hate on me For being me, I face a penalty They expect so much from me, it sucks for me Lucky me, I'm just flying through the sky, sucker free I'm just up above the city streets Climbing walls at a different speed Miles Morales, miles per hours Take a dive, surf the towers Late at night, scary hours Superpowers, appreciate the flowers Shoot a web, gliding through the sky, through the air this is DJ Valida, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Okay, we are back. KCWGTheTruth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome, and ladies and gentlemen, my mind is just flown and blown off of this latest entry into the canon of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Man, I don't, well, cinematic, which universe? I guess that's the main question that we uh, go into this conversation. Uh, Spider-Man, Across the Spider-Verse just came out over the weekend. And man, I did have a chance to see it. And <laughs> and I had some catching up to do before I even did that. But oh my God, there is so much to get through. Uh, and get to this this movie, ladies and gentlemen, before we bring our guests here, this is a huge production and there there's a lot of history involved with the making of this film. And I'm going to leave it to our guests to help me uh, sort of tease all that stuff out. So y'all know this cat, man. Come on, man. This good brother is an award winning comic book content creator. He has this joint called Operative.net. He is Man, just considered a subject matter expert in this area of comic books and from books to screens, man, there's nobody better that I can find for Psychotic Bum School. And it's a privilege and an honor to always have this brother here. So, ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome back to Psychotic Bum School, our good brother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo. Mr. Taboo, how are yes, you? sir. Man, I cannot complain. Am I here living this life? Bruh, which life? I'm telling you, bro, I'm confused. Uh, what is going on? It, it, it's, it's easy to be confused, but all, I mean, all of them are happening simultaneously. So it's right. best to just be everywhere, everything and all at once. 
all it. Oh, this guy. Did I did there? You like that? I see what you did. I like that. I like that. And you're not far off, good brother, because ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, a 2023 release now available in theaters near you. Now, uh, as you know, uh, I don't talk about these things before they come out. So this film is out. So we're going to spoil a little bit. So I'm telling you. Um, I'm going to leave it up to Hannibal. I'm just going to pitch. He's going to catch and we're just going to make it do what it do. So if you haven't seen the film, this is your final, final warning to sign off right now in three, two, one. Okay. Good brother. I happen to do some catching up because I honestly had not seen the first Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. So I had to watch that one first before seeing this. There was a heavy, heavy buzz about the initial one, but the mm -hmm. continuing saga of Miles Morales now across the Spider-Verse. Good brother. Uh, I'm just going to let you riff for a few seconds as long as you want. You you got the floor. My good brother, what, what, what was your take on this film in general? Miles Morales, the saga of Spider-Man in this iteration. Good brother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo. What do you think of Spider-Man? There is so much good to say about Brooklyn's own Miles Morales, number 42. Not talking about Jackie Robinson this time, but Ooh. Miles Morales, because that was why they did that. But ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're, we we're, we're already getting started. We're already getting started. See, so, <laughs> uh, this film is a very conscious, planned uh, uh, effort on the heart on behalf of Sony in terms of. Uh, really milking every possible dollar they can out of the Spider-Man franchise. They made a they back back before Marvel was the cinematic beast that it was. They were selling off parts of their company for licenses, and Sony snatched up Spider-Man for a song. And they're making they're running, running, running with it as long as the deal works. Um, and it's it's uh, it's interesting to see what with what they call their flywheel model, where live animation live action uh, cinematic says. We're part of the Marvel Universe cinematic. Give us some of that money. Uh, animation says, oh, you like that? Let's create a whole new character that only we control from a, a, a visual standpoint and have you build with them. And in the game space, it's like we can drive in all lanes because we're going to get people addicted and interested in playing uh, all these personalities and bringing them into their homes for dozens of hours at a time. This wow. is, again, all planned out. All of this is intentional with uh, mm -hmm. The same sort of elements that everywhere you see J. Joe and the Jameson, it's going to be played by J.K. Simmons because that mm -hmm. makes you start to feel the familiarity of it. Spider-Man is, a, you know, you, you get used to this mm -hmm. voice and this voice makes everything feel. So if you believe it in the movies, you'll believe it in the animation, you'll believe it in the game and you'll want to spend your money. Familiarity is the key here. Familiarity, consistency. You know, you're going to turn, you know, you're what you're going to get. You're going to be happy with. All that's very, very important. And I, for one, my my only beef with this movie is that this is not an entire movie. This is half of the movie. They split <laughs> essentially the story in two. And I've got to wait until next year to find out what the freak happened. But right. the actual story elements of uh, Miles and truthfully, the thematic element of every Spider-Man, which is I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed mm. to be this hero, but I'm going to take this po great power and I'm going to accept great responsibility. That flies across everything that happens and thematically plays out through everything that every spider does. And I love to see it. Oh, my God. Uh, where do we find our hero, Miles Morales, at the beginning of this story? Where we left off in the previous one, Into the Spider-Verse. Um, 
Was there any way that we could see this coming the way this particular film started? I mean, I have to say, I didn't expect this film to start the way it did, but it did. Uh, what was your take on how this film started and where it was hinting that it was about to take us? In the same way that I mentioned that live action theatrical is very focused on uh, uh, playing nice and, and play, you know fitting into the Lego. Uh, Gwen Stacy said for best in the start of this, let's do this differently. You know, she opened the yep. movie saying very specifically, this is not your Peter Parker's freaking story. That's not what we're doing this time. Are right. most of the are most of the variants Peter Parker's? Sure. But this is about what about the ones that aren't? What about the ones that are something different? And what does that mean? Did mm -hmm. the, you know, and and that meaning this this variance, this you're not supposed to be comes up in very big thematic ways in the story for both Gwen and Miles as they both struggle to try to accept um this life that essentially they've been drawn into in a lot of ways and mm. not shunning the responsibility of the great power that's been handed to them so yeah um, I, yeah i like i i appreciate that animation is like yeah we're gonna let you have fun with tom holland he's great we love him he's fantastic but we're gonna do some different stuff over here even as we kind of poke fun at that as well because we can and we can do virtually anything in this movie I mean, yeah, they did. Now, in terms of the story arc, would you say, and I'm going to borrow this uh, quote, I, I forgot where I saw it online, maybe you've been seeing it in conversations, is this just another uh, Peter Parker, uh, that being Miles Morales's story arc, or is it just Peter but darker? What can you say about the story arc of Miles Morales? Do you think he has a distinctive flavor compared to other versions of Peter Parker prior to him? Absolutely. Uh, Miles Marker, Miles Morales, rather, in the same way that uh, uh, Moon Girl uh, uh, in the mm -hmm. animated series, in the same way that uh, T'Challa in the cinematic thing, they benefit for something that Peter Parker never had. Parents. Ah. <laughs> that, you know, he is able to be raised by people who love him in a stable, loving household and see that as an example and see this happening in a way that is good. That, first of all, for uh, black representation is fantastic because mm -hmm. it's something that happens. We know in our communities, we know the involvement of fathers and mothers in the lives of their children, but we don't see it as often on the screen. So that's the first thing. So mm -hmm. that separates uh, him from everybody, including Gwen, who does not have the benefit of her mother. That's true. But also that um, Miles Morales experiences things in a way. That, well, there's a great line in uh, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home where Jamie Foxx says uh, to Andrew Garfield is like, I'm just saying you help a lot of poor people and you got this kind of truthfully raggedy costume. I just kind of thought you were going to be black. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, wow. uh, right. you know, Miles Morales lived that reality in a way that Peter Parker only works as a tourist. You know, but mm. Peter Parker puts on a suit and he can become a billionaire leader of Parker Industries. That option is less available for Miles Morales, regardless of the fact that he's as smart, regardless of the fact that he's as good, regardless of the fact that he has more powers and he's better at it. So, yeah, all those factors uh, factor into who he is as a character and how he can be portrayed and the stories that can be told with him for a better, more diverse audience that uh, filmmakers and film audiences have shown financially they want to see. That's right. And you're right. They didn't shy away from it at all, did they? I mean, the fact that they brought in so many different versions of Spider-Man in these uh, alternate universes, it, it speaks to that effort. Of uh, it, it's DEI on the screen, and I and I'm just imagining that people's heads were exploding just from seeing an Indian Spider-Man, a Hispanic Spider-Man. Um, and speaking of that, Miguel O'Hara, uh -huh. Miguel O'Hara, uh, 
can you talk to us a little bit about what you know about how he played out in this uh, across the Spider-Verse? in 2023 relative to how he was written or drawn in the comic books. Uh, where are the similarities and dissimilar dissimilarities that showed up in the film? Well, uh, when he was originally created by Peter David and Rick Leonardi, Miguel O'Hara was always cranky. He was always, he was always <laughs> never exactly a people person. You know, he's always been, you know, he's he's never been your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and I did love Oscar Isaac's performance here as the character. It but, was pretty good. Um, I have to say it was pretty good. Yeah. What? What there's a responsibility that uh, Miguel O'Hara has always taken on, especially given that he is a essentially because he in the comics he's known as Spider Man 2099 because he's a spider from the year 2099 in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, he takes that responsibility. He's like, I know how this goes. You all don't, you know. That uh, he takes that 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 kind of grimness. That truthfully, he knows how it, from that perspective, many Spider Men have to die. He knows that mm -hmm. because it's history to him. It's not. It's not some possibility. It's something that he read about in school. So yeah, factoring that in changes him. And when you add to him the extra layers that were added in this film about him stepping into the life of uh, another Miguel O'Hara in another universe uh, who died and almost unraveling everything and losing this child that he loved so much, that adds even more reality to the grimness and the kind of anger that comes from this character that's truthfully built in from the comics and only expanded upon here on screen. Mm. Ain't that the truth? So, yeah, he did sort of have that that presence there, the the sort of the all knowing. I, I can see what's coming and you can't. He brought an objective lens through it. But, yeah, he had no sense of humor <laughs> no. compared to some of the others. He was very serious about, you know, preserving the legacy of it. And he's like, yo, this is the story. OK, this is yeah. the canon. What what they call it? A canon, right? You can't. Canon event. Canon? A canon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what can you explain that a little bit? What, what's the Absolutely. canon? Absolutely. Yeah. In, uh, in in writing and fiction, what's called canon is, say, for instance, the things that actually matter to a story. So let's say I'm a Star Wars person, for example. So mm -hmm. I know, for example, that Mara Jade is not canon. She's a character that's very popular. There was in some other uh, media that was in different things, but she is not in the actual Star Wars story. She's just something in peripheral things that are not considered actually what happened. So, for example, in your mm -hmm. own life. Um, the canon of your life is you went to X school, you left and you met Y people and you did Z thing. But in someone's version of your story, you may have learned to fly at some point. You may have learned instead of DJing, you may have learned to, I don't know, become a, 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 an opera singer, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm working on love, it. <laughs> exactly. Their love for you as an opera singer uh, is not canon. That didn't actually happen. That's not actually part of your real story. Got um, it. But it's something that they enjoy and that they want to have happened. So in this canon is being maintained that Spider-Man experience tragedy. And that's another separation point from Miles. Spider-Man suffer. Spider-Man sacrifice. Yes. Spider-Man cannot have it all. And Miles is like, yeah, I'm going to do something different. Screw you. Yeah. Yeah. What do you make? I mean, that's something that Miguel clearly didn't understand about this version of Spider-Man, and he kept he called him a, a mistake. He called him a, a, an anomaly. I mean, I don't, yes. I don't, I mean, something to that effect, right? I mean, what? Yes. Why do you think it was so important to drive that point home? He leaned in and told him, "You ain't even supposed to be here, bro. This was meant for somebody else." I mean, if that didn't speak to <laughs> what's happening in society today, that society is constantly trying to tell certain people that they don't belong here. Uh, what made did first of all when you saw that scene? What did it resonate with you in any particular kind of way? 
in many, many ways, but for many different reasons. There's both in-character reasons and larger metatextual reasons for this. Mm. Um, Miguel O'Hara uh, is, you know, he himself is not a Peter Parker. He's a, there's, because Peter Parker dies in the 21st century. Yeah. He's not, you know, he's a True. descendant of that legacy. And therefore, to protect the fact that if you're going to make a Miguel O'Hara, you need a Peter Parker. That means Miles lives in a world where Peter Parker didn't become Spider-Man, so Miguel O'Hara can never become Spider-Man. Mm. That's protecting yourself. That's self-interest. So mm. there's that fact. Um, there's also uh, the larger, and you see this in some of the, uh, the visuals of the thing. When he talked about timeline, the timeline that you see there is exactly the same as the timeline that you saw in Loki, Loki the uh, Disney Plus series. Wow. It's exactly the same as the timeline that you see in Multiverse of Madness. Is exact. I mean, and that's not accidental. That's totally wow. intentional. And that's why you were able to see things from across. It's like, oh, we got 1970 Spider-Man. We got Andrew Garfield. We got Tobey Maguire. Mm -hmm. We got all, we're throwing in everything because if we're willing to play with the concept of a multiverse, then all of those things happen. All mm -hmm. those things are real. All those things are their own canons in parallel. Mm -hmm. And Marvel, with their current cinematic approach, working towards a multiversal theory, uh, gives that greater credence and makes people look at things in a way like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, crap. So all of it. Wait, it all goes in the soup. It's all gumbo. We're going to eat all of this. Oh, wow. uh, and that all being very intentionally done. So mm. you saying this mistake thing is much like uh, um, uh, what's the name in uh, the Loki series where Jonathan Majors, who ugh, I don't even want to get into that right now, but oh boy. Uh, as as he who remains talked about, is like they were they were making a mess of the timeline. I had to clean it up. So there's one timeline that goes the way that I want it to be. That things work out exactly the way they need to. Mm. If they don't, I'm going to prune those mistakes. I'm going to cut those mistake timelines. I'm going to change where Loki's a girl. No, we're not doing that. That timeline doesn't exist. What Loki's an alligator? Nope. Loki, you know, mm. so on and so forth. So what Spider-Man's a, 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 a Puerto Rican kid from Brooklyn and not a white kid from Queens? Nope. That's not the timeline that was supposed to happen. Mm. It's the same. The language is the same. The vocabulary is the same. The visuals are the same, all completely intentionally in the same way as it's intentional that J.K. Simmons is J.J.J. in every universe. This consistency gives the audience from, from the, in the sense of marketing, it gives the audience a sense of, oh, OK, I believe this. My God. Jessica Drew, man. I mean, and and I even asked you what you struggle. I mean, where this film fell short. I haven't even gotten to that yet. I know I don't have all night with you or all day, but I need your help with something with the, the Jessica sure. Drew. First of all, can you talk about how she was depicted in this film uh, versus I did, does she have her own television series or just a, a story arc in the comics? Does she have a television show? Spider-Woman? No. Uh uh, I'm not so sure about the television show part, but I do. I know her comics in, in intimately, but uh, let me see. Intimately. I don't remember. Uh, oh. I've watched. Oh yeah, wow, yeah, yeah. She had a TV show in 1979 and 1980, and she had. Oh right, oh, that was actually very good. And she had an animated series in 2009, uh, Spider Woman: okay. Agent of uh, Agent of was it Agent of Sword? Yeah. So I mean, yeah, she's had little, but the comics are why I know her best. That's where I know her story, and that's why when I mm -hmm. saw a pregnant Jessica Drew, which was part of the Dennis uh, Loveless story that came out, uh, mm -hmm. when, how long have we been doing this pandemic thing? Four, five, six years ago, something like that. Years start to melt together for me, but right? um, <laughs> yeah, directly from that storyline, when she was like, "I'm pregnant, but I've still got to go do the superhero thing." 
uh, because it's oh, what boy. I do and so on. The great power doesn't take a break on the responsibility because I got knocked up. Um, and uh, the wow. difference, though, in casting Issa Rae in uh, changing this to a, a black heroine allowed for a greater deal because Jessica Drew in the comics is one of like three or four Jessica characters, three or four black haired Jessica ladies walking around. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, okay, whatever. But <laughs> now mm -hmm. she's got mm -hmm. some distinctiveness. Now you see a different experience, especially because the way that the pregnant Jessica Drew was seen in the comics, people just kind of ignored it. People didn't really talk about it. You know okay. that a black woman in that experience would have a different experience. And we're able to see some of that in some of the reactions that on sometimes yeah. when it's great, when Gwen is like, could you adopt me? Because she was like, oh my God, the stuff I'm going, Gwen who grew up without her own mother, hello, mm. uh, you know, okay. uh, <laughs> react that way. Whereas other people look at it sideways or whatever, which is not a bad thing when you get people on Twitter like, "Oh, why is Spider Woman pregnant?" Blah 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 blah, and these complaints, knowing that the comics exist, knowing that they can be easily debunked, is mm. you know honestly free advertising. It is, uh, and this is where I kind of need your help. Did I? What did I miss about what we found out about who got her pregnant? And does it is it even important at this point? It's not important. It's completely irrelevant. Uh, and it's, it truly it's irrelevant in the comics because I believe the guy's either dead or something, you know, it's that he's not a factor. Um, and mm. uh, her as a single mother, as a superhero was in the same way that Stanley made Spider-Man broke it, whereas Bruce Wayne was rich in the 60s mm -hmm. uh, is an intentional thing intended to say we're trying to reflect the audiences that we have. We're not just trying to, you know, go with whatever, whatever we feel like we're trying to reflect the audiences not only that we have, but that we'd like to attract. So, okay. you know. She is a single mother in the comics. She is a single mother. In the, and I don't remember anyone ever even mentioning. I think when she first got pregnant, they mentioned the guy. But it was, I don't even remember him being important enough for me to remember it. I remember lots of things. So, mm. Okay. And do, or in the comics, it was so that child was actually materialized at some point in that series in the comic uh, world? Yeah. The print yeah, world? The, uh, okay. The child, <laughs> it's funny because the child ends up with uh, uh, the nanny that she ends up hiring because she needs somebody who can both have superpowers and protect a child who might have superpowers is a mm -hmm. villain who used to be called the porcupine who's re re reformed. Uh, and, you know, there's a whole thing there. So, I mean, yeah, she's always like, okay, I got to go punch this person in the face, but I got to make sure I have childcare covered and the baby's precocious oh, and wow. they have powers. It's a, it's a very, very deep and entertaining game. Oh, my God. And then you parallel that with uh, this version of Peter Parker that they had was carrying around a child. Which um, is an, another very that's the future <laughs> version of Peter Parker, where he's married. Mary Jane has this child that they call Mayday after his Aunt May. Uh, and she mm. gets powers immediately. And she's a whole <laughs> hot mess. Where did this film fall short, in your opinion? So we're coming we're coming after the rock, the, the, the train scene where he's jumping up there and he's distracted all the spider people and he's. He's telling what his plan. And I'm like, I'm, I remember saying to myself in my brain, wow, this is a whole lot to wrap up in the next few minutes. I yeah. can't wait to see how they're going to pull it together. Same, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's like, they better hurry up. Aren't we at the end of the film? <laughs> and then that clown said to be continued. Man, if there was a yes. in front of me, I would have flipped it over, man. Right. Uh, but, and I forget because two or three years ago, I remember them saying it's, uh, you know, going to essentially roll straight through as well. But I forgot because, you know, the pandemic mm -hmm. and life. Uh, but oh, so yeah. I was like, oh no, you're right. This is actually, I gotta wait a year. I gotta wait a year. Oh, I mean, yeah. Like when I was a kid, I can't just stream it and binge I it know. now. What, yes. What lunacy is this? 
So that was one thing that really kind of got my little goat there. I was a little, I was a little cranky about that. Right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I honestly, I honestly would have done with because my favorite two characters, my favorite two standout characters that I would have liked to see a little more of were the Indian Spider Man and Spider Punk. Because Spider Punk in the Uh comics is a little mopey, but Daniel Kaluuya's Spider Punk was just he's like, no, I'm always cool. And no matter what I do, it's going to be cool. And you're going to like mm-hmm. it. And I was like, yes, sir, you're right. That is correct. I do like it. Let's, right. Can I get more of it? I understand why you want to take a character like that and not overload it because that's easy. To, the line is that. But I'm I'm happy to be left wanting more Spider-Punk, but I definitely do want more Spider-Punk. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, I just got to get your, your thoughts on just the overall production quality of this film. It's an animated film made here in the United States. Uh I didn't check the, you know, production credits entirely, but what I did see it took about collectively at least a thousand people to make this film or yeah. somewhere close to that. It, it this was this is an incredible production. Am I am I exaggerating? This was a Herculean task, right? So, I don't think mm-hmm. there as far as I know, maybe you know, I don't know of another animated film made in this country that has required such a all hands on deck effort like this. The the result that they produced, however, what are your general thoughts about the production, the cinematography, the visuals, the drawing, the art, the animation from a United States standpoint? uh, How unprecedented is this film and where does this now take the expectation of Marvel Marvel filmmaking? Oh, my God. They, they, what ha, what will this film now do for the legacy of future animated feature films to come? Well, if I'm looking at sheer numbers of people, the average Pixar film has about this many people on it. Oh, okay. Pixar films are really hard to make. They're really, <laughs> really hard to make. Okay. Um, so, okay. I mean, from a, uh, from a, what was interesting here is that they, uh, instead of having one gigantic group of people, they had dozens and dozens of smaller groups of people because what they did in choosing to do things. For example, Gwen Stacy's world is basically watercolor. Uh, mm. uh, Miles Morales' world is a very almost photorealistic uh, 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 cartoon sort of thing. Whereas mm. uh, 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 there's a like a cyberpunk vibe for Nuevo York with uh, Miguel O'Hara. And creating each specific visual style as mm. a storytelling element required different groups of people working in different ways. You couldn't just hire one army of people like you do for a Pixar film because Pixar film is going to look the same pretty much all the way through. Uh, <laughs> you mm-hmm. have to hire a, a small squad, like platoons of people. It's like, all right, you guys go over there and you get Gwen, you get that going on. Give me some David Mack. Give me some, you know, uh, give, give, give me some flavor there. And you go over here and make this real like the video game. I want that. I need you to replicate the 70s style. Get that, 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 that. go do that. <laughs> and then mm. to manage all these teams of people it's like being a commissioner of a league but they're Mm -hmm. not playing against each other they're all playing together they're all playing to make one thing together um that's enormously difficult and enormously specific to this style of story all the way down to the uh the opening credits which flash between oh now i'm gonna do the 70s marvel look now i'm gonna do the 90s marvel Mm -hmm. you know uh, that this takes an enormous amount of paperwork and planning and sitting and just figuring it out which is why I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm happy to have seen this movie and I'm really happy to see it. But seriously, you guys could have just released this next year and then you could just ran me through a four hour movie. I've been fine. Wow. But, <laughs> I mean, that's just me though, because I okay. was, I sat through, you know, the original Dune in the 80s, you know, when it was like a gajillion hours long. I'm fine with that. Um, okay. okay. 
so that that's just my perspective on it. but yeah the 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 what this will do moving forward this, this is given uh, a, a glimpse at what at a smaller scale a lot of independent animation may films have been doing the things are done with the art around spider punk where it's like you know it's like what is this visual style it's very you know uh, sex pistols it's very you know specific to that sort of mm. visual milieu but in an animated fashion in small ways has been done by independent animation animated film for a long time they've never had the budget to put it all together and get it out with the marketing might of a sony and a marvel uh, at the scale before so what this will do i i hope well there's a dozens and dozens and dozens of brilliant talents toiling in not necessarily obscurity but in in lower lower uh areas of access that i hope will be like oh you know what we want that we need to oh we can't hire the spider-verse people they're too expensive oh what about this guy yes <laughs> so yes. that's what i would like to see a whole bunch of people start to come up with a lot of jobs trying to get that vibe trying to get that scent. in the same way that we had the anime rush of, of of several decades ago when everybody was trying to do something anime related um mm -hmm. And get people a whole lot of checks that, frankly, they deserve because they inspired this work. Mm. And they should be celebrated. They should be hired. That's what's up. And did, did you recognize any names in the productions as far as uh, maybe people that you personally know, uh, Black people in particular, uh, but not limited to that? Did you see anybody that you recognize from the, the comic book world working on this film? Behind not the directly from the film. Well, they did do one thing where they said... Um, there was an episode, I'm sorry, there was an issue of Spider-Man that they held up that was drawn by Sanford Green, who's one of their co-creators alongside of David Walker uh, with this book called mm. Bitter Root. And uh, I've known Sanford for many, he's, he did this book with Method Man, Sanford's fantastic. Uh, and so I saw like, they specifically used Sanford's specific work, specifically name check Sanford in there. Now, did he get paid for that? I don't know. But uh, I do know that they very specifically brought him in in the same way that, you know, John Ostrander said for the Suicide Squad movie, he's like, the cameo that I did on screen where I said a line got me paid more, more money than I've done in the entirety of comics that I've done mm. for Suicide Squad. Wow. So I don't know exactly how the money works out, but I definitely right. saw Sanford's influence in in several of the worlds. You definitely oh, wow. see Sanford's influence. Uh, and 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 his stylings. Now, uh -huh. I, what I don't know is whether or not that led to actual money for him. Mm. Shouts out to Sam. I'm not all up in. The, I'm not oh, all up in the 1099s that way. I don't know. <laughs> You're not up on the 1099s, brother. You know so much about all these other universes. I thought you know about the 1099 universe too. But shouts out to Mr. Green, Sanford Green. Yeah, Sanford Green. He's fantastic. I was told there'd be no math for this interview, so I did not. <laughs> His name is Hannibal Taboo from Parts Unknown. The good brother is the head of Operative.net. Good brother, man, I really needed your help with this one, man. I cannot thank you enough for helping us to discuss Spider-Man across the, what is it? Across the Spider-Verse. Oh my God. Now available yes, in theaters right now. This one is going to make history, y'all. Once again, shouts out to Miles Morales. Uh all the filmmakers that contribute to this project, uh, kudos to you. This is an amazing film. Good brother, what can you tell us about what's next for you? What's coming up for Hannibal Taboo? And uh, where can we find you, good brother? All right, well, I now have my new Dungeons & Dragons campaign setting book, The Sundering, The Nation Beneath Our Feet. The hardcover has gone out uh, to the Kickstarter supporters and is available at retail stores uh, that you can order. The PDF has already been available on uh, Amazon and on uhstudios.com, things like that. 
War Medicine, uh, there's a campaign by the publisher for my uh, Supernatural Western series, War Medicine, uh, for uh, award season. It's available. I'm working on the outline for the next, for the prequel that he's actually been after me for about nine months on, but I've been working on Dungeon Dragon stuff. And mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's the stuff I can talk about today. That's the stuff that's in the, the shoot okay. that I'm allowed uh, to talk about today, because I live in the future. I only work here in the present with the rest of you. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I'll, <laughs> when, when I can actually get the the NDA is cleared for the next things. I will definitely mention. See, the, Mr. Taboo is like Miguel O'Hara, 2099. He's seen all this, y'all. He's in the future somewhere. He can't. He, he can't tell it all. We we got to have some life experiences so we can. Um, we, we'll we'll get there. But Hannibal Taboo is already there. Tina Turner has died at the age of 83. Fat news coming to us. According to her spokesperson, no cause of death was released. Now, the eight-time Grammy Award winner was known as simply the best. Turner rose to stardom with the act started by her ex-husband, Ike, and their classic Proud Mary. But it was not until decades later that she revealed that relationship was plagued by abuse. She agreed to a divorce settlement that left her with virtually nothing. But Turner went on to reinvent herself musically, including recently with a Broadway show and a documentary about her life. One of my favorite Tina Turner quotes, sometimes you've got to let everything go, purge yourself if you're unhappy with anything, whatever is bringing you down, get rid of it because you'll find that when you're free, your true creativity, your true self comes out. We are back. KCWG, thetruth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, oh my goodness. You know, it takes the news of this caliber and rank in order to really get the world's attention. We have had a generational transition, ladies and gentlemen. The life and times of Tina Turner has been well chronicled throughout entertainment history. 
uh, from the stories of her days in her uh, tumultuous marriage to the days that she had to live through that and survive through that and emerge out of that humble beginning. Uh, we'll talk about that as much as we can to become one of the most revered and celebrated pop stars of all time. Uh, she will always and forever be the queen of rock and roll. Tina Turner, AKA Anime Bullock, ladies and gentlemen, has made her transition. And uh, I would not be uh, a proper host of a show called Psychotic Bum School if I didn't at least acknowledge the, uh, the magnitude of this passing. And once again, we have a stellar panel here to help us uh, honor this once in a generation icon. Uh, you guys know these two guests. Uh, both of them are in Southern California and it's always my honor to have them here. First, our good sister is with Black Tree TV and other very familiar outlets that you are all familiar with. She's a singer, songwriter, and MC in her own right. And she's a legend on this program. And that's why I always have her here because she always brings you exactly what you need. So ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome back to Psych Out of Bump School, our good sister, Miss Juliana J. Bowden. Juliana Bowden, yes. come in the house. Come on, all man. All up in here coming to give Miss Tina her flowers, her chocolate, oh, her candy, whatever. All the love, the everything. Mm. I feel like I lost family this week. You know what? She is, she, she is family to so many of us, right? You know she, she was, and uh, that's what exactly... Uh, what I want to hear about from you, because I'm, I'm going to share something I saw online uh, up on the news of her passing. But you're not alone tonight, uh, Miss Bowden. Mm -hmm. Also joining us, we have our good brother. You guys know who this good brother is. He's a legendary uh, writer and journalist and drummer in Southern California. You know you've heard this voice a million times before on this program. And I am once again blessed to have him on this show again to help us pay tribute to Tina Turner. So, ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good brother, the ever on the move, Mr. A. Scott Galloway. Mr. Galloway, are you back? Left a good job in the city. Good. Working, Working man in the And I never lost one minute of sleeping. Come on. Worrying hey. about the way things might have been. What the big wheel doing? Keep on turning. <laughs> Probably. Probably doing. Yeah. What was the first track the two of you ever heard, ever, from Tina Turner? Juliana and then Scott. Hey, I'm going to have to go with the worldwide cliche. Left a good job in the city. Come on. Working for the man every night and day. Is what it is. I mean, and the thing is, it's not that I heard it. I saw it. I remember seeing her on TV dancing with the girls. And I feel like my first. The girls meaning the iCats? Oh, yeah. hey, you know the video I'm talking about. <laughs> they were doing I it. Saw her, I, I saw her on TV doing the coordinated, highly coordinated choreography with the background singers who were fabulous in their own right. And mm -hmm. they was going and going and going. And I just wanted to be like them. Mm -hmm. So I think that what um, I am reflecting on truly mm -hmm. was my first experience connecting with a black 
artist visually, like what is a black woman doing on stage? Mm-hmm. We're doing that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like the standing in the middle of the stage singing pretty. And as far as I knew, we was rocking out. That's right. what we were supposed to be doing. So I already had this inclination as a black woman, as I I was, I think Tina made me a rock and roller from the gate and that right. everything else about soul music was nice, but there was her um, energy that said that we going to dance and sweat we going to get it in. We going to work. We going to do it rough. <laughs> we going to do it rough cuz we don't do we never never do nothing easy, you know? Um and if you think about it, when it comes to like having if 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 a person like Tina Turner sets your rock foundation. And so for the re- and then the, the you know, everything else in your life is looking for that. Mm-hmm. It stands to reason that other music that came along after that. I don't know if they were the blueprint for this, but remember the 90s when it looked like all the alternative rockers would do the thing where they started off slow. You know. Mm. It's like I'm 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 hearing in my mind Nirvana. I'm you know um Soundgarden and there was this blueprint that I feel like you know it, did it start with Proud Mary I don't know but the starting off nice and easy and making it rough I think I, I could go out yeah. on a and say that they they, they might have been the blueprint for, for modern rock arrangement I'd have and, to say if they weren't the blueprint they, yeah. they, they actually told you what they were you know Tina broke it down and told you what they were doing like the part of the introduction she's giving you a lesson in song arrangement and performance you know and Bam. we ever do nothing easy you know nice and easy we're gonna so we're gonna do this one easy and we're gonna do the finish rough and so she opens up telling you what they're gonna do and and they do it so that that makes things a whole lot more crystal clear when somebody just breaks it down for you right at the intro of the song. I, I can tell you that. Well, the, after them, you, I, oh, yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I was just going to say after the, after them, um, you have the great Led Zeppelin yeah. that started some things off. Just thinking that. Nice, nice and easy. And then yep. what's my song? Fair Way Red, to Heaven. Bam. And yep. all that. Yep. And, and, um, they definitely got their musical mojo from, you know, who. there you go. No doubt. And um, yes, I mean, just the interpretation of song, uh, Scott, uh, I definitely want to come back to that because it was a John Fogarty song of Creedence Clearwater Revival. He said that that was one of the first good songs he ever wrote. That's why he had an issue with the film that came out a few years ago. The first time you ever heard her voice, say Scott Galloway, uh, Juliana said, Proud Mary. I said, Bold Soul Sister. Good brother. How about you? Mine is another interpretation. And it's, it's I can't remember which one came first or which one I heard first. But man, I can Tina Turner version of 
I want to take you higher by Sly and the Family Stone or their version of Come Together by the Beatles. It was one of those oh. two. Both of them were electrifying, you know, and, you know, as with, you know, songs by the Beatles, I mean, I don't want to hurt any Beatles fans' uh, feelings, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. like so many people have covered their songs and done them what I consider to be leaps and bounds better. Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, they're great songs, which is why they've been so malleable and so many people have done them. And, mm -hmm. you know, the Beatles were cool, man. But, man, you know. Uh, Not better, I, just different. I'm, well, don't, don't, don't make me ball my fist up at you. I'll let ball me your fist up all you want, because I think that, you know, it's like ain't nothing like I can Tina Turner doing that come together. But really, I want to take you higher. It's probably I love the them first all. It's not better, it's just different. Uh, it, it was between those two. Um, to, and they were just exciting. And I have to admit, you know, Tina was a big part of it, but, you know, I, uh, the arrangement, the performance of the band, and then the, the uh, you know, and then the way that they turned them into showstoppers, you know, mm. uh, like Juliana said, you know, we, you know, even this would be way before video, but, you know, in those days of variety show television, you know, sometimes the first thing you remember is seeing some of this stuff uh, more so than, the first time you heard it, you know, radio was one thing, but I can Tina Turner shut down many a show, you know, that they were on. Nobody could really hang with them other than maybe James Brown, you know, because James Brown, Brown and Cher. James Brown and who? <laughs> James Brown and Cher could hang with them. Cher, okay. They're, they're friends. <laughs> Absolutely. I love, I, I love Cher's friendship with Tina. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were a lot of fun talking. I mean, you know, again, the sisterhood, you know, she, and, you know, and it wasn't just a black thing for her. And it's so interesting that so many of Tina's, you know, closest people, you know, once she got away from Ike and, and that whole circuit of things, it did turn out to be English, white rock yeah. people. Those were her, her real, her buds and then Cher here and other people. Doesn't mean that she didn't, you know, still love black folks and stuff. And like I said, that first thing that she did coming back was a cover of Al Green, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I I can't. I have to say, other than Angela Bassett, most of the folks that I saw a lot of pictures of Tina with uh these, this last week has been Stones and Bowie, and a lot of other uh rock oriented folks from overseas, where right. she ended up going. But you know, <laughs> she got out of here to go over there and live there. I think yeah. we got to give her, I think you got to recognize that it might seem like it's overwhelming leave them, but if it, I'm probably following some people that you're not, and I feel like it's a good even split with everybody because what I was seeing is every, pretty much, it's it, it, every, there were so many black women, young and old, who had pictures of, oh my gosh, I got to meet Tina. And probably half of them took place at Oprah's Living Legends party. <laughs> oh yeah, I love the one, of course, with my girl Halle Berry. I mean, it's different. It's yeah. a it's one thing for people to meet Tina and be in Gaga. I'm talking about her homies, the people that she spent time with, the people that she hung out with and lived with, and and all of that. And there's absolutely zip zero shade about it, but it was just something oh, that yeah. that I was noticing. You know, it's like those really became, you know, her her friends. She could relate to them because I think also we have to to be real that there was a lot of of black folks that that I mean Tina was a rock star. She wasn't an R and B yep. 
So when she was a rock star who, who had problems getting on rock radio, but, you know, people, they couldn't say anything when it came to performances, concerts and all that, it's going to be there. Even yeah. if some of those rock stations weren't playing her record, they were definitely all up in the front row when she came to town to see the shows. That's another uh, dichotomy that could be a whole nother show. But wow. the sister, the sister was bad. She was, I, I, again, I loved her so much, and I got to meet her when she came to to uh, the magazine I used to work for, Urban Network. We're affiliated with two other publications: Album Network, which did album-oriented rock, Network Forty, which did Top Forty and and uh, Rhythmic, whatever that you know they called that uh, at the time, and then us, Urban Network, who dealt with you know R and B charts and hip hop. And uh, Tina uh, made sure to come and visit all three magazines individually. And then we all came together nice. in the uh, atrium and took pictures with her. And I had her sign my passport limited edition version of uh, the foreign things called Foreign Affair album. And she couldn't have been less of a rock star than, than anything. She was so kind, so humble, so sincere, looked in your eyes, just gave you so much love as you were giving her love, you know, that I'm sure she had gotten a million times. Oh my God, Dean, I love you. I've been listening to you since I was a child. You're, you're, you're great. You're royalty. You're the queen, you know, and she just, and it wasn't, didn't accept any of that from any of us. Like it was, yeah, yeah. Thanks kid. You know, you was old. Mm. Love you. Wow. Maybe that's why uh, sister Georgia referred to her as mommy. If she was that down to earth and personable, despite all the fame, Scott and Juliana, what is she, what template did Tina Turner set that is inspiring today's generation in terms of how electrifying of a performer stage, taking it to the stage where it's live and direct and without a net, like Juliana was saying, it's like, I'm trying to envision her walking that plank in that during that performance and not toppling over um, in heels, bring it to the stage. You know what I'm saying? So uh, what can you both say before we go about what, impact she's left for us, what lessons for today's generation, the Beyonce's and those to come after her, what has she done to inspire the importance of a live performer with a voice as uh, once in a lifetime, as uh, iconic as Tina Turner's was? Uh, let's go first to uh, Scott Galloway on this one, and then Julianne. Yeah, yeah, I wanted Juliana to land that plane too. The only thing I wanted to say um, is that uh, when you you're referring to my to my sister Georgia Ann Muldrow, who's the mm. daughter of uh, Ronald Muldrow, great great friend of mine, guitar player, jazz. I played with Eddie Harris and did a lot of things. Oh, and, uh, and and her using the one word "mommy," I thought that her reference of "mommy" wasn't talking about Tina. It was like the the loss of Tina was so heavy that it made her want to go back into a fetal position and be like, "Mommy," like. That's yeah. just, it's That's too a, much to deal with. Like the loss of Tina just makes absolutely. you want to go and hug your mom and whatever. Absolutely. I think that's where she was coming from with that. Oh, I agree. That's exactly how I interpreted it. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, um, I'll, I'm going to let Juliana land it as far as performing. But what I will say is that I got a really, really big kick out of seeing Lizzo do a little bit of Proud Mary in her show after, uh, right after Tina died. And I mean, the choreography and everything. She did a little bit of the, nice and easy part and then you know i guess all girls know the choreography <laughs> for the i guess where you put the you, know, you shake your hair down in front of you and then you bring it back up and uh yeah, you know do. they all had hair brushes <laughs> in their hand and, and mm -hmm. they're doing that i catch 
And Lizzo did that, and we all know, you know, Lizzo's iconography for being the big girl who don't care and will 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 rock and shake anybody under the table. I just love that that Lizzo had that that freedom and that feeling that you know, yeah, I, I can do this too. You know, I'm not Tina Turner. I don't have legs like Tina Turner. I don't look like Tina Turner. But I'm gonna put this wig on, like Juliana said at the beginning, and. And I'm going to become her right now because I remember vividly how she made me feel when I saw her. Mm. That's all I can imagine as a male, you know, looking at a, a, a female icon who was just so incredible. Uh, but Julianne is going to give us a definitive call, my sister. Indeed. Well, I just thank you for seeing us, seeing women in a way that feels so accurate. And what I could add to that is seeing um, seeing the reverence that she deserves come from Beyonce and Lizzo makes my heart so happy because they recognize they recognize greatness in a way that black folks need to do more often. And I say that because it's times that I've been had grown up, I find that black people throw things away mm. and then they get mad when white folks take it. And I'm speaking about blues music specifically, blues, rock, whatever. Mm. And I noticed that, even in the world of R&B, hip hop over the years from like the 90s, you know, the, the 2000s, 2010s, whatever. There comes a time when a true artist will look at their influences, 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 because they're digging, trying to find themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And somehow they'll land on a Tina Turner. Or a Muddy Waters or whatever. Uh, Howling Wolf or wherever you know that that influence and stuff digs and goes, but not all artists will share publicly about music that others perceive as old. Mm. My mama listened to that. My that's that's old. That's whatever. But there is a musically emotionally intelligence about an artist that will embrace publicly and lift up the music that they was listening to with their mom or dad, what have you, because they understand the importance of legacy. And if you ain't, can't say nothing else about Tina and some legs and the raspy voice, her legacy is in reinvention from decade to decade to decade. So if you want to have a lasting career and you ask what, what was, you know, the template that she left on stage. It's not so much about the template she left on stage. It's the template that she left from decade to decade, not being afraid, refusing to let anybody tell her to sit down. Yes. The, the, temp part. the template is what kind of artist am I? What do I feel like singing right now? I'm 20, I'm 30, I'm 40. I'm 50, I'm 60, and I'm on a scaffold, and y'all want to see me. <laughs> and I'm a and no, I'm not wearing I'm I'm not wearing sensible shoes because it don't make sense. 
I'm not put, putting, I'm not wearing sensible hair because that's not me. This is me. And um, is fearlessness a template? Hmm. Is that it? Mm -hmm. Fearlessness as a template. We can talk about that. That's what she left us. She left, she, she, she left a heifer while you sitting down. Ain't nobody told you your time was up. Get up and do something. And um, she's the kind of, she's the kind of performer that'll cry it out and then go work it out on stage. She showed artists how to, how to, how to be fierce and humble at the same time. Mm-hmm. We also right. gotta remember that she like did her thing long and hard, but when she when it was time to quit, she did her farewell tour and she retired. And I also give her big, big, big props for that because there's a lot of folks that just don't know when to retire. She mm -hmm. did. And I mean, yeah. uh, and I and I respected that because she had some good retirement years before illness unfortunately marred her retirement. But you know. Look at them. There's a lot. Of, I'm going to speak no names, but there's a lot of folks, some folks that have to be out there working because that's just the way it is. They don't have enough money to retire. And you yeah. got other folks who are just going to rock until they drop on the stage. Tina rocked rough, but she didn't rock. She didn't rock to the point where she wants. She didn't want to die on stage. She wanted to enjoy her. Mm -hmm. And she did. Oh. And oh, my God, her home in Switzerland is going to be a museum. I remember buying the architectural digest issue that that, that home was in. Because it's accurate. I don't mean any shade at all because I love these guys, but how are we in a world where Tina Turner is not here, but Keith Richards and, and, and uh, Mick, <laughs> Mick Jagger still is? I'm like, they are literally the last one standing. And I, I don't know. I just will never understand how Keith Richards and, and them are still here. They were especially killing Especially in a in a world where Tina's not. They were killing yeah. it. That last tour they did last year, I saw it, and they had the benefit of being off for all those COVID years, and they came back with a vengeance. <laughs> I, I mean, they, they were chomping at the bit to go on the road. Whatever. I don't know what it is. And maybe, you know, sometimes men hey, there's a new just go longer. Yeah, they just go that lasts longer. I don't know. I mean, they, anyway, they land the plane, brother. No, man, but you're you're both right. I mean, they won the genetic lotto just just straight up. And that you just mentioned a couple of them, but there's nothing like the Infinity Stones. I'm seeing a Marvel's movie this weekend, the new Spider-Man animated feature. There's there's something about these artists that come around only once in a generation. And that's why we're celebrating Tina. I'm just thinking as I just reflect on everything that Juliana and Scott just said, the, the indelible imprint that she's left for others. She left the playbook about how to sell the voice, the performer, the woman, the per personality, the, 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 the humanity of an artist just laid bare in front of us for all these years, all these decades. And we have so much rich history now to look back upon, you know, just looking at her body of work. Would there have ever been like a, um, oh my God, I'm thinking about some people that, can come close to capturing that sound. Nobody can. There's never going to ever be a voice like that. I think about Macy Gray and the fact that how they had to probably market her because her voice was so distinguished and unique. 
and not the same kind of performer though. Absolutely. She's got a, she's got a unique thing. voice, but she don't perform. She's not exactly. Unique. You got to have the whole package, right, Scott? Cause Tina embodied the entire uh, embodiment of what it all looks like when it's done really well by God. He only blesses a few, ladies and gentlemen. Would we have ever had the, what was that singer? I think it was it Kim Carnes. I think she's got Betty Davis eyes, super raspy voice, but one of the biggest hits out there, not near the performer of Tina Turner, but just think about, I love but, me some Kim Carnes. Though. Absolutely. Kim Carnes is an incredible singer and songwriter. Love her. Would love to interview her, meet her, whatever. Love Wouldn't her. it be amazing? But there was an actual singer named Betty Davis um, that was the former wife of Miles Davis. She, she has sort of that raspy rock funk sound. But Tina Turner, ladies and gentlemen, we could do a whole no show on uh, these some some of these singers that I'm talking about. But She's yeah. three, you know, and uh, I'll land with this, man. Uh, this this conversation is certainly um, just the beginning, ladies and gentlemen, of how we can just analyze the magnitude of this loss, the gravity of it, man. I was telling Juliana, Scott, this the, the big three have gone on the big three. There's others. I mean, Shaka Khan still with us. Patty LaBelle still with us. Gladys Knight. Grace Jones, Gladys Knight still with us. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. For mentioning hey, somebody please go scoop up grace jones and just put her in behind glass go check on her <laughs> go check on her you just know? did a show in new york and killed sure. her. Saw pictures. there you go amazing glad to hear because so, those and three, dion dion yeah, warwick. warwick is still here god rest diana i got rest diana's go still for, here but see the big three for, i'm talking for, about the, the big three in a castle Exactly. But <laughs> the big three that they featured on uh, VH1, like during the behind the behind the music push, they did the greatest women of rock and roll. Two of them had preceded Tina in transitioning. Of course, the great and with a respectable raspy voice of her own Janis Joplin. May she rest in peace. Of course, a few years ago, Scott was here when we paid tribute to the incredible talent of Aretha Franklin. May she rest in peace. And the third one in the top three, ladies and gentlemen, Anna Mae Bullock, Tina Turner. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. And it repeats again on Friday evenings from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific time check back with us we shall return next week also want to thank our very very special guest for the evening juliana j bolden a scott galloway and of course our good brother mr hannibal taboo and make sure you check out spider-man across the spider-verse now playing in theaters near you also want to send a very very special shout out to mr frank starks who is the iron man behind the board and we're out of here y'all take care <laughs>